There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Christmas series of The Delicious Podcast with me, Jilly Smith. And this week, I'm at the home of one of British food's most influential chefs, New Zealander Peter Gordon, who introduced us to fusion cuisine when he first opened the Sugar Club in London's Notting Hill back in the 1980s. Now he's hanging up his apron at his Marylebone restaurant, The Providors, and considering a new future. As he tells me about cooking for Theresa May and New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, and why politics could be his next career move, he shows me how to cook his must-have Christmas dish, chilli roast kumara. In New Zealand, um, you wouldn't have Christmas without roast kumara, which are our native sweet potatoes. And so this, to me, is giving a little bit of antipodean flair to a British Christmas, really. Yeah, so would you have kind of turkey and all the trimmings in New Zealand? Uh, you, weirdly, you do. And my stepmum's a Cockney. Um, she moved there when she was an 18-year-old. And so for Christmas, when we were children, we'd always be camping, so we'd be fishing. So you'd be having freshly caught snapper or blue cod, or depending on which part of the country you're in. You'd probably have crayfish, but also you would have a roast, um, a big chunk of roast pork or roast lamb, uh, because of course it's summertime over there. Um, and, and but you would always have Christmas pudding, steamed Christmas pudding, and you'd have Christmas cake, and that was the weirdest bit. Because having the meat was okay, even if you're in a camping ground up in the Coromandel Peninsula, it, it was beautiful because you could have cold meat and sandwiches and stuff. But the weird bit was the steamed pudding, and then my father came up with this idea that I've often done myself where we get the pudding and we just slice it and we brush it with butter and we fry it so it's caramelised so you don't have this big lumpy thing and then we serve it at, at that time there are strawberries and passion fruit and all sorts oh, of stuff so you have it with cream and fruit yeah so it goes from being the steamed pudding yeah. which you can't cook on a camping stove easily to um, something fried and yummy and all that all the fruit inside go caramelised really nice so fusion is kind of in your blood not from I mean you know I'm just thinking that you've got this sort of native New Zealand culture you've got your mm-hmm. Maori food tradition but mm-hmm. that wasn't around when you were a kid presumably no, no, no. you've got this kind of uh, emigre uh, British tradition which is kind of meat and two veg and not very interesting mm-hmm. and then you've got all these other ideas kind of going on in your family about things coming in from different different but, corners but I, I think in a funny kind of way like I think my childhood was typical of people of my generation I'm 56 so you know in the 60s 
We all had gardens. We, I mean, we had a pet sheep at home that we ended up eating. We, we didn't live on a farm. We lived in town, out near the beach. Yeah. But we had a pet sheep, and then um, lamb chops went away to the freezing works and became dinner. So that was unusual. But people did have gardens. People did have passion fruit trees and tamarillo trees, and we all grew things. And, and New Zealanders, I think, are inquisitive gardeners, so they love to, um, you know, if there's a new seed. I remember we were growing... Ah, we had chocos growing, which I'd never really heard of. Um, we had strange cucumbers, all, all sorts of weird stuff. Mm. And we kind of integrated it into the food. And I think it's because I had a, a, a childhood that was a very simple food culture. But I made a cookbook when I was four, which got lost in my parents' divorce. But upstairs, I've got a cookbook I made when I was eight, actually. I saw that on which your my dad website. Sent me. I showed my daughter. How <laughs> glorious is that? It's really, it's very funny. I mean, it's lots of. You know, it's the outside um, recipe thing off the condensed milk tin or the jelly box or the something for the Women's Weekly. It's very funny. But but it was when I um, moved to... And as a kid, I would I would buy things and I'd, you know, find things. But the town I'm from, there wasn't, it wasn't like there was a great Asian supermarket or anything. Yeah. But we used to have a... There used to be KTEL was a TV... You'd buy things on oh, KTEL. Yeah. And I bought a, a bottle cutter to make vases from beer bottles... And I made, I bought a wok, and I remember um, one time feeding the family, and I made the pastry, and we had to get oil, and we hadn't ever cooked in oil at home, because uh, we always used beef trimming, um, which I hate. And uh, and I remember, so I kind of had this inquisitive nature, and then when I moved to Australia when I was 18, dropped out of university, moved to Aussie, got a job as a waiter in a restaurant, and then thought, I do want to be a chef. So I asked the woman if she would give me an apprenticeship, and she sacked me. And said never darken my doorstep again, which was fair enough. But I, I then in Melbourne in 1981, still is, but it was an amazing food place. And there was the there was the Vietnamese, the Vietnamese boat people, as they were termed in those days, were arriving across, and they were setting up shops on Richmond Road. And there were the Italians who'd been there for a long time, the Greeks. I think I think Melbourne was the largest Greek city in the world at the time. So there was all there was feta, and there was fish sauce, and white chum, and Thai basil and all the stuff that I'd never ever ever seen in New Zealand even olive oil um, and avocados and cappuccinos I'd never seen them before and suddenly they're all there and I just began I, I began cooking as a career as an apprentice and then I um, suddenly had all these ingredients that I didn't know what to do with them what's this feta thing I mean what do you do you crumble it or do you fry it or do you boil it and so I, I just began to play around with ingredients and that's in a way this because, I guess because my parents didn't have a culinary tradition, you know, I didn't have a great Italian grandmother saying, oh, you don't do this. I had no one telling me anything, so I just played around. Yeah. yeah. So tell me what you're going to be doing first. Okay, I'm going to do... So this is a um, veggie side dish, uh, which would be really lovely with a roast turkey, with some pork, with beef, lamb, anything really. Um, and if you're vegetarian, it's also... It, um, it's vegan and but it could be really nice served with you know a lovely bit of and a bit of burrata or something on it. So you, you could have this as the vegetable base. Okay. It's chili roast sweet potatoes, courgettes, roast garlic, hazelnuts, and pears. Beautiful, lovely. So what are you going to do first? Okay, so I've just um, uh, toasted off some hazelnuts. So I'm going to rub the skin off them. In the saucepan, I've got some. I've got a whole head of garlic, and I've just separated the cloves. And I'm going to boil it in water just to remove some of the bitterness because um, much as I think a, a big chunks of roast garlic with, say, a, a roast chicken or a lamb makes sense. And amongst the vegetables, they can become a bit overpowering. So I'm just put them in cold water, bring to the boil, and I'm just going to boil them and then drain them, and they'll be roasted. And then I'm going to prep the um, sweet potatoes. 
uh, the pears, the chilies, and the rosemary and olive oil. Great. Yeah. Okay. Chop there. Yeah, absolutely. So, stew, sweet potatoes for us in New Zealand. We, we, it's just part of our DNA, really. And we call it kumara. And the kumara was brought into New Zealand um, by the Polynesians who crossed over. And they believe that the kumara came into the Pacific through South America, you know, the potato. And so, it, whilst we consider it a native. Um, indigenous vegetable it, it came in like so many things yeah. and the other thing about New Zealand is we have um, we have the uh, only the only indigenous mammal we have in New Zealand is a bat so there's no great tradition of cooking meat Māori brought across a rat and dogs and pigs eventually made their way um, and I'm wondering why I'm peeling this because normally I would scrub it. So I peeled I one. I peeled say. one kumara. Okay. Because there's no I'm reason why you should peel them. Actually, is there? No. They're quite delicious. The yeah. skins are very delicious. They're very good. Mm. I think I got carried away with the peeler, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah history of uh, yeah. how you could do. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of seafood. So the great thing about New Zealand is we have kai moana. Kai means food, and moana is the mm. ocean. So we have that. But if you're Maori who lived inland. Um, you know, Kumari was spread around the country, many different tribes. Um, it depends where you were, what you would cook, what you could forage, and what you, how you would cook it. Yeah. So in um, around Rotorua, which is a geothermal area, mm-hmm. uh, we have um, you can cook in the hot springs, which is fantastic. But if you're up on the hills and it's very wet, you know, the, the being able to harness fire. Is quite, a, is quite an important thing. And being able to store kumara, which is the sweet potato, was one of the keys to the survival of a tribe and the power of a tribe. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you need to sustain yourself through winter and stuff and when the, the kumara's not around. So we have, um, there's something in New Zealand historically called kumara pits. And they would be these holes in the ground where kumara would be stored. And, and you had to hope like you really had to pray that it would survive or else you've got no food for the family wow yeah when you were growing up um, did you kind of know very much about all this stuff or is it, are you a sort of a born again Maori I'd, I'd say in a, in a funny kind of way I'm probably a born again Maori when I went through school um, we weren't taught Maori we, we learnt it at um, primary school we would have done Maori studies but then when I went to intermediate school, I was 10, um, I learned Esperanto. And we were told that Māori is a dying language. No one learns it. And so I learned Esperanto. Then I learned French, which, uh, you know, at least French is spoken by some people. Um, and the Māori was just, it just wasn't, it wasn't considered important. And for my father, my, my Māori ancestry goes through Dad's side. Um, Dad also didn't speak Māori, he was never never taught it. Grandmother, the same thing. So we just, we, I was from a generation just at the point where Māori did come back in. So I have um, a stepbrother and stepsister who uh, have no Māori blood in them and they learned Māori at school. Yeah. So it's, a, it's sort of an interesting yeah. time. For, for many Indigenous people around the world, things just change. They, yeah. yeah. And of course now New Zealand is one of the most progressive countries in the world, isn't it? I mean, your Prime Minister over there, she's amazing. Yeah, Jacinda's amazing. She's fantastic. And she's 
She's brought sort of the idea, the concept, with other leaders around the world, she's making the concept of um, well-being important. You know, it's not this whole thing about not just focusing on the GDP of a nation to decide if it's doing well. It's really important. And, and yeah, no, New Zealand is a fantastic, it's an amazing place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and you've cooked for her mm-hmm. and Theresa A couple May. of times, actually. I've, I've done a few fundraisers for Jacinda, yeah. and then I cooked at Downing Street uh, this year. Yeah. And how was that? <laughs> was, just, uh, just paint the little picture there of, of a dinner. What, what was it with Theresa May and, and Jacinda? It was... Uh, Jacinda was over on her way to Davos, mm-hmm. and she popped into London, and we did an event with her up at All Press, All Press Coffee Roastery. Um, she was here promoting New Zealand trade and enterprise, so we got some New Zealand produce people and various wine suppliers and stuff to get together and um, and promote New Zealand. So it was kind of it was a trade mission. Yeah. And then and I was about to head off to New Zealand a few days later because I go back sort of five times, four or five times a year for work. My restaurant's there. Yeah. And I was at, it was funny, I was at work saying, oh my God, I'm so busy and I've got this to do and that to do. I'm off to New Zealand and, and, um, and oh, you know, I just don't know how I can squeeze any more in. And I was at work at the Providore, sitting there with my business partner, whinging about how busy I was. And an email came in from Downing Street saying, Dear Mr. Gordon, your Prime Minister's having lunch with our Prime Minister. Would you like to cook lunch? Sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> when? And it was it was the day after the event uh, up in, in Dalston. And so I was like, absolutely, absolutely. let me what do it. Uh, I had to submit the menu, but it got approved quickly. Our starter was aubergine, miso aubergine. I was aware that Theresa May is diabetic, so I, I designed a menu that would work for most of the courses and it was a miso roast aubergine and pine nuts and dates without dates for Teresa Teresa um, and then main course was duck they chose duck over the other proteins I forget what I served it was cabbage and roast collie I think and dessert I served um, I was really pleased because I was thinking it's probably the first time it's ever been cooked it was um, uh, hokey pokey ice cream which is Honeycomb ice cream, which is a typical New Zealand thing. Tamarillos, which are a treat, um, a fruit from the Andes that we grow in New Zealand that I poached just with cinnamon and orange, I think. And shortbread, my grandmother's recipe. And then Theresa May, we gave her fruit, and I tried really hard to just source British fruit. Yeah. So it was apples and pears, but I did throw in a blood orange. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was good. It was really. I mean, that must have been such an interesting thing for Theresa May as well, but she must have known your position or your, your influence on British food culture. I mean, you know, when we first met way back in the mid-90s, fusion food was big in Australia, but you had brought it in 1989 to a tiny little part of Notting Hill. Mm. Yeah, it was... A, it, I mean, I suppose for me that the joy of food, this industry that I've been involved in such a long time, is that it's just... It encompasses everything. It crosses political boundaries. Yeah. You know, the style of food I do. I, like, if I had to do food, you can only do regional, uh, Calabrian, Tuscan, you know, Provencal food. I, would, I wouldn't cook anymore yeah. because 
what's the point? Yeah, no, it's endlessly interesting for you. Let me just say what you've done while we've been chatting. You've chopped up the um, the kumara, the sweet potato. We'll call it sweet potato. And the pear, the chili, uh, dried chili, including the seeds. You haven't done any Mm -hmm. kind of fade. To be honest, they would have been. if they were fresh chilies, they would have. And I knew I had chilies at home, and when oh, I went okay. shopping, I thought, well, I won't buy any more. Oh, right. And then you put the pears in there, you'd, you'd, and some lovely fresh rosemary from the garden. and your Olive oil and sesame oil. Olive oil and sesame oil. That's a salt and pepper. smell already. And then the pepper. At home, I always have um, different peppers in the grinder. So there's, and there I've got some compote peppers and some black pepper and a bit of alligator pepper. And I quite like, you know, the idea that pepper is black pepper. Yeah. There's so many more peppers out there, yeah, if yeah. you know what I mean. And of course you live in the East End, where you can get absolutely any ingredient now, because this is one of the most diverse areas of London. Well, a city which is probably one of the most diverse in the world right now. Yeah. So around here we've got, uh, at the top of Broadway Market, we've got um, some Turkish and there's also Cypriot um, veggie shops on the thing, but our favourite is at the top of Broadway Market. And then there are Vietnamese shops just up on Mayor Street towards Hackney Central. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's a variety, huge variety of yeah. stuff. Plus, there's the usuals, you know, the little stores and stuff. But there's always amazing fruit and veg, and yeah. yeah and that's changed massively. I used to live down the road 30 years ago, and it wasn't like this at all. It was again an area full of, you know, immigrants, but different immigrants, and that's the joy of of London. It changes yeah. all the time. Yeah, I just think it's. Uh, it's a remarkable place. When I go home, because New Zealand is very much Māori Pacifica, um, there's a grow- in Auckland there's a growing um, influx of Chinese um, and sort of a general Asian, if I can use that term, um, people. But it's a, you go home and you just notice a, a different vibe. You, around here, when friends come over from New Zealand, and they're like, oh my God, do you live in such a culturally diverse it is part? Yeah, and our street is, is everyone Bangladesh, sort of Nepal, India... Argentina, British, yeah. I mean, just it's everyone. I love it's it. Really I, I, I appreciate living in such an environment. Yeah. You're rubbing um, those hazelnuts. You're just taking the skins off. Just taking them. Very yeah. easily. So I've just um, roasted them in quite a hot oven because they're going to be cooked a bit more. So if you were going to be using hazelnuts not cooked again, you'd want to cook them at a lower temperature a bit longer and then rub the skin off, you know, shove it under the tea towel, yeah. rub the skin off. But I just wanted to blister them really quickly because yeah. they're going to get a bit more cooking. Yeah. After the short break, Peter tells me why he and business partner Michael McGrath are leaving their London restaurant, The Providors, after 18 years at the helm. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I just want a break. And I have to say, the reason we decided to close the portals is we, we, we had a 25-year lease. We're coming to the end of year 18, about to go into year 19. The chaos of bricks and everything that's going on is just... It can't, you know, it can't be dismissed within the restaurant world. Everyone I know is struggling to find chefs. And they're, they're, they're the three hat, two hat, no hat. Yeah. Everyone is struggling to find people. Um, the, I don't know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a tough time. And Michael and I looked and we thought, oh, God, we've got a lease. It's probably worth a bit of something now. In a couple of years it may not. Who knows what's going to happen with the country? Should we carry on? Shouldn't we? So we had a board meeting, the two of us, and decided that actually... Maybe it's time to call it quits. And Michael's husband is Dutch, and Peter, for a long time, um, hadn't got a settled status, even though they're married and they've been together 10 years, and, you know, know, that was all going on. And I think everything just came together, and we thought, let's let's sell the business. So we do, and hopefully it will complete uh, next week. We're waiting. Um, And... Yeah, and people are saying, are you going to do another restaurant in London? And Jan, the truth is, I actually don't, I have no idea. When Before, when we told the staff, we gave them about 11 weeks notice, we said, look, we we know a lot of you now will want to simply go off and find a new job, and that's to be expected, but can we ask you and tell you that the last sort of couple of weeks of the Providor's history, 18 years of being here, introducing the flat white, you know all the stuff that Turkey we did shakes. Shakes, uh, are going to be amazing and you're going to get a lot of people who are coming in to farewell and, and sort of celebrate everything that we've ever done so we would ask that you consider um, staying for the end because obviously you don't want to close and you've got no staff and all the rest of it and a few people a few senior people had already resigned they were for different reasons they were heading off anyway but the bulk of people stayed and we had an amazing um, amazing closing time and then we had we thought we have a sourdough called Wayne um, that's uh, we created at Providence 18 years ago it's also Wayne is the sourdough that we use in Crosstown Donuts um, and and I and I had Wayne we had Wayne in the fridge and we feed Wayne every day and he's 18 years old and I thought oh my god what are we you can't just tip him down the sink <laughs> so we decided to well, I decided to um, let's offer Wayne to a free home anyone who turns up with a clean container on a particular date and then we thought, actually, if we're going to do that, let's also have a jumble sale. So, and we gave heaps of stuff away, and we sold a few things. And but people queued up, and they wanted a coffee cup or a salt shaker or whatever. It was, it was very good. So we got to we closed the restaurant July thirty first, and then 
a few days later we had a jumble sale and then the following week we had a much smaller jumble sale but we we cleared stuff we had amazing conversations with customers past and present we gave Wayne to in total 150 homes um, over the two weekends and yeah so for now but at the time of announcing the closure I thought oh I've got to a restaurant I'm a, I'm a restaurant I'm a chef that's what I do how, how else do I define myself and as time's gone on I thought actually I just want a break I just would like to sit back, see what happens to the world, see what happens to the economy, the country, and just take it easy. So I'm in no rush to do anything. Yeah. And I'm just, I've just chopped the hazelnuts. So they've been roasted and toasted and peeled, and now they're just roughly chopped. Yeah. Courgettes, I'm going to... How am I going to slice these quartered lengthways? But I think for what we're doing in here, I might just try and cook them a little bit quicker. They're quite big, fat yeah. courgettes, so I might just do them slightly differently. Yeah. The the books, I mean, obviously, you've had most enormous influence. You've left an incredible legacy, and I'm sure that you will continue to do so. But actually, you've got a lot of books out there, which I know you love to write. Yeah. And you've managed to, to keep them going. I mean, how many books have you written? Uh, eight. eight. Eight books. Over yeah. that course of time, um, because the Sugar Club was, was really very early on. It was very prescient of yeah. you to actually sort of start. Was that your idea, or did a publisher come to you then? Uh, with Sugar Club was on All Saints Road, Notting Hill. And there was a literary agent called Felicity Rubenstein who lived around the corner and was popping in all the time. And I got a note one day saying, um, you know, uh, really like your food. Have you considered doing a cookbook? Come and meet me. So I went and met Felicity and and it was grand. She said, have you written? And I, I think I told a bit of a fib. I've often said little fibs until I can figure out the truth. But um, I, and I said to her that I'd love, you know, I'd love to. I'd always, you know, I'd made a cookbook as a kid that had been lost, but of course it's been redefined by Dad, and um, and and that kind of led on to ha- having a giving a pitch, and then the publisher said, well, you know, who would you like to write your book? And I said, well, I'll write it. And they went, no, but you're not, you're a chef, you're not a writer. I'm like, but a chef, surely, if your name's on the cover of the book, you've written the book. And the publisher said, no. And I was like, what? Well, how does that work? And I said, how can I look my grandmother in my eye and say that um, even though it's, you know, the Shook Club by Peter Gordon, I didn't write it. So they said, oh, uh, could you could you write us a sort of an introduction? Uh, I think it was four sample recipes, the chapters, and what will the recipes be? And I didn't even have a computer. I'd never used a computer in my life. I'd, I'd written lots of letters and stuff yeah. as a kid. And then that just kind of led on, and the publisher said, oh, we really like it, we like your voice, it sounds good. And, um, and so that led on to some books, and then some more books, and more books. When I had to write Savour, from which this um, recipe comes, I wrote that entire book in three and a half months. It almost killed me, I have to say. It was the hardest book I'd written, and I would be in the kitchen, exhausted, and sort of fall asleep over there with the laptop in my hand all over, and I'd hit lots of space bar, and it was, it was pretty... <laughs> But it, but I but it, I have to say, it's produced a beautiful book. And wow. like all my books, we shoot them at home. Yeah. Um, and this book was with Lisa Linda, and we had a really fun time shooting the book. It was yeah. it was great. So, yeah. So you're just going to go over to the oven now and yeah. toss them about and kind of yeah. break them up a little bit. Just break them up. So the pears, I mean, I love roasted pears. Mm. Um, and then just in here, you've got the rosemary and the garlic and the chili. Smell the sesame oil. Stunning, isn't it? I'm just going to give that probably another five, six minutes, and I'll throw in the 
courgettes. Wonderful. Um, so this is kind of one pot cooking, isn't it? It is. Ever tried? Well, I must admit, I do that a lot. I find myself. If I can use one pot to cook an entire meal, I'm always happy. And that's even on the on the hob, you know, whether it's fish or chicken or duck or beef or anything. Why? I like it. In my heart and soul, I'm a real greenie. I've, I find myself often thinking, what's the best thing for the world? Like, I think uh, there's, the thing that really annoys me in restaurant kitchens is the amount of times the tap is left running for, you know, either by the dishwashers or someone's cooked some soba noodles and put them into a colander and then they walk away and have the tap running I'm like yeah. do you know how hard this is <laughs> and in New Zealand my restaurant the sugar I have two there but the sugar club is on the 53rd floor of a tower and the tower is simply four lift shafts going up um, and then various things on top and we're on the 53rd floor and when I see the water being wasted I'll say to the I'll find do you know that water has come from a reservoir and then it's been piped and it's come up 53 floors to be turned on to be wasted down the sink so so i yeah so yeah, i find myself and even though i say that i've got a 90 centimeter oven um and al and i live here by ourselves so when i don't cook with the oven which i adore um i try and do everything on the yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm on the induction do you know i thought you were going to take me back to the, the little boy who loved camping and everything has to be in one pot oh i like that i like that too but that but there the the camping food we did was pretty simple i mean it was always nice but we we would often camp in the tip of the coromandel peninsula and um the store was i think two hours away or something and so twice what you'd go in and you'd get ice creams and you'd bring back ice to put in the big the dad would was an engineer and he'd made this like a big chili bin we call it um ice cooler yeah and uh and but the ice would slowly melt so you'd bring back stuff that was super fresh and then on day three or four, it was all going a bit mouldy because it was summertime. <laughs> and but yeah, but we, we the food we would do would be simple but good. No, yeah. And ma- salad dressing didn't exist, but mayonnaise made with condensed milk and mustard and vinegar would. Hang on, I was just about to suggest that you were just doing a bit of cowboy cooking. Now you're making salad dressing yeah. while you're camping. Yeah. Good lord! But out of a can, you know, like yeah. Did you, did you ever have that condensed well, milk mayonnaise? Not when I was camping. No. Okay. <laughs> We, I mean, we just stuck to, you know, maybe chucking a lobster in a pot or something like that, that's you know. Good, but. That's good, yeah. And in New Zealand, we have a lot of crayfish, so we used to be able to get that lots. And and um, I remember one one Christmas, we, we'd always, Dad would always have an outboard dinghy on the roof of the car, and we'd always take one camping. And then it was the year Jaws had come out, um, and we were, it was Christmas Day, and we, Dad and I, my um, brother Dean and a friend Ricky, went out in the little dinghy and we were fishing to get some fish for Christmas morning. And these huge fins appeared, probably, Dad says, 300 metres away. And then they appeared again a bit closer. And they probably were killer whales. But it was, the, and I was sitting down there, and we hadn't seen Jaws, but we'd seen all the ads on television. And I was in the, in the bottom of it going, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> And Dad says to that, it's the only time in his life he's ever been terrified. So that was a, that was a typical New Zealand oh, Christmas while reading Kumara and um, fried Christmas cake. Tell me about your Christmas this year. What are you going to do? Christmas this year will probably be here uh, in the house. Our goddaughter lives across the road um, with her parents, and Al and I are godfathers, and it would be their first kind of Christmas in the street. So I think, I'm hoping, um, we'll be back from New Zealand, and we'll celebrate it here. And you'll cook? I'll cook. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I, yeah, I love to. Cook. I so love cooking. I you know, love cooking. I always at home. ask that question of, of chefs. I would expect maybe once somebody's going to go. God, I've no idea that for a living, and want somebody to cook for me. Nobody ever does. 
No, I I enjoy like I what I love about the restaurant is you have to have this this method and this technique and you've got to get it done and people are coming in the door for their Turkish eggs and they're coming in for their grilled whatever or you know dessert whatever but what I love about home is you can just kind of take up a bit of space so a couple of weeks ago we had an, an art event where the whole street was closed where about 5,000 people come and view the various houses on the street that open their living room or their front room or their entire house and we invited all the street back that participated in it um, uh, and we had a couple we had 3,000 people come through our house do you remember what time? Uh, two days from 10 to 5 it was a stampede and we said there'd be no cooking and I found myself in here doing grilled scallops with sweet chilli sauce and creme fraiche from the Sugar Club cookbook um, we had oysters I made this lovely risotto thing with miso rice and then we had 50 people in the house we had a band playing there's two women performing in the front room it was amazing and I know for me it was going to be a night off and, and I thought I just love especially at home there's something really good about being at home cooking yeah. okay so you're taking out the lovely sweet potatoes and I have to say, they smell incredible. Smell good, don't they? Yeah. Adding the courgettes and the hazelnuts. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to toss all that. So and these just a little bit courgettes. more sesame oil. Okay, a little bit yeah. more sesame oil. So these courgettes will take, what, five minutes? Mm, I've cut these a bit smaller than normal. So a little, little bit more, surprisingly a little bit more, okay. I think. So probably maybe eight minutes or so. Okay, yeah. seven, you've got this on 175. Yeah, so 175 with the fan. Yeah. Let's give it a toss. But it's just the courgettes, the, the effect of the courgettes is not going to be a sort of a, a lovely mushy courgette. The way this is best is if the, the sweet potato is a little bit soft, the courgettes are a little bit the same. So the texture is sort of okay. playful. I mean, you could you could do this and just put in raw, thinly um, sliced courgettes at the end and whack it on the table, you know, depending on what you want. But I think for Christmas, slightly more, a little bit more cooked is yeah, good. Yeah, cool. Okay. So we're opening the oven for the final time. Oh, doesn't it smell good? That does smell amazing. So the courgettes are a little bit golden and just a little bit squishy. And then you've got all this lovely oil, this lovely infused oil, which has the garlic and the rosemary and the hazelnuts and sesame and chilli. And now all you need to do with that is toss through some spinach. Oh. Um, baby spinach. It's good. Okay. Just, just hit it through. Yeah. And give it a good stir. And, that. and, that, and that's a side. That looks like a main course to me. But yeah. So that's what you're going to have for your Christmas dinner. I'm going to have the same. Oh, good. The new year holds some really interesting open opportunities for you. There's a possibility you might even go back to New Zealand for a while and work with the government. Yeah, I, I feel like I want to give something back to New Zealand. I've lived here 30 years. I've loved it. It's amazing. But uh, there's a part of me that thinks, is there something I could do back home for sort of um, using food in a slightly more political way. I don't want my legacy to be grilled scallops, sweet chilli sauce, creme fraiche. Um, I think I would like to do something that's um, food policy based. You know, we have high obesity um, and diabetes and Maori Pacifica people. And I, and I just I feel like there's something else I can do. And, and I need to figure out what that is. And it's probably going to happen in New Zealand, I think. Well, I wish you all the best. And thank you very much indeed. Happy thank Christmas. You. Happy Christmas. Delicious. And you can find Peter's recipe for roast sweet potatoes on his podcast page at deliciousmagazine.co.uk slash stories slash podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast Christmas series. Next week, I'm learning how and why to make a vegan Christmas dinner with social media superstars, Bosch. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.